everybody. Welcome back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the Job Whisperer, and this is the Bit About Crypto show where we talk all things uh, crypto, NFT, blockchain, so the listeners out there can learn more and more, and we bring on interesting guests. But speaking of interesting, I've got my co-host and partner, David Hampton, the robo-recruiter. How are you, David? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. A lot yeah. of things going on in the world today. Yeah. A lot of things are going on in our firm, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, we just want to say thank you to everybody. All, all the people who actually have heard the, the podcast and want to be candidates, I appreciate your courage. You know, a lot of you say, hey, I don't know if anyone would hire me. And it's like, that's not true at all, right? Because this crypto space is passion over pedigree. Right. And, and I'm just going to go back to the analogy of Southwest. Southwest hires based on attitude and then places you based on aptitude. And so if you are someone who wants to repurpose your life, you're, you might be in the crypto space right now or you want to repurpose your life into crypto or, or blockchain or something in that area, then you need to contact me. OK, because that's the side of the, the that's the wheelhouse that I control at Blockchain Recruiters. And you can reach me at uh, start with Twitter. Right. I'm the BTC recruiter. Right. If you want me on Twitter or what you can do is you can actually just send me an email, David J at blockchainrecruiters.net. Make sure it's net, 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 because if you don't do net, then you won't be caught in my net. And remember, it's not who you know, it's who I know. If you have a blockchain or a crypto project and you need people for that, then you need to actually talk to Robo Recruiter. And I'll let him tell you how to get a hold of himself. Uh, on Twitter, you can give me at uh, BC uh, Robo Recruiter. And uh, my email is dave at blockchainrecruiters.net. Yeah. Don't forget the net. And uh, yeah, it's, so what we usually, what we had been doing on this show is we were saying, hey, I've got this position, I've got that position, and this is who's hiring. That's just too many of them now. We just have too, we have too many buckets and not enough water. All right. So, so if you are in the blockchain space or want to be in the blockchain space, community manager, business development, <laughs> auctioneer blockchain engineer yeah, yeah. cto web three cto yeah if you sweet if you actually can program right in web three and or javascript i mean yeah. there, there's some interesting companies using javascript to right but here's here's the deal see people say to us hey we want a cto and we want somebody who actually has done layer one but can program in web three Right, but we want somebody who can actually blockchain and program, but is also be the CTO and manage people and, you want the, and lead people. Yeah, in. but here's what I'm going <laughs> to say: If you actually have enough of a vision on how something needs to be done, if you're more of the programmer with an idea and you can roll others, you will make a good CTO. This whole idea of someone with 30 years experience, that's over, right? Because those people have come from a, an archaic realm. I'm not saying they're not all good because a lot of them have repurposed themselves. I mean, thank God, me at my age, I repurposed myself. And, you know, I've been in uh, blockchain and Bitcoin since 2013. So I'm one of the very few boomers that actually, it's actually a badge of pride that I'm actually not losing as much intelligence yeah. as I'm actually losing. We can, we can hear that. Wait, what? We, it, we wait, can hear that pride. Is it time for me to take a pill? Go to bed? <laughs> <laughs> Which pill are you going to take now? The one that reminds the me to take one, the other the blue pill. One. No, I take the red one to remind <laughs> me to take the blue one, the blue one so I sleep better and my diabetes. No, I don't have any of that. Anyhow, so, so that's that. You know, um, one of the things, David, I've noticed about when we talk to these new entrepreneurs in the blockchain space, <clears throat> they're critical thinkers. You agree with that? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you think of lawyers, right? You, you know, you got a brother who's a lawyer. You you had thought about law school, right? Yeah. It's like, what kind of critical thinking do I, I want to actually... Uh, a, lot, a lot of dedu right. deductive reasoning. Right. right. And, and it, I come from a long line of lawyers, and I've always thought like a lawyer. I just, at the time, I just didn't go fast enough for me. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. a chance. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't go fast enough for me, right? So I just decided I wanted to go. I was a little bit too much of a hurry when I was younger. And I, as you know, I had a past playing poker, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, today's guest, he is, he's both. And he's way more successful as a poker player than I was. I was a cash player. Uh, but anyway, with no further ado, and now, and he actually has uh, repurposed himself uh, visionarily in the uh, NFT crypto space. With no further ado, let's, let's welcome Dutch Boyd. It's really great to be on here, uh, Dave and Dave. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, when you say repurpose, uh, that's exactly, you know, I can relate to that. That's exactly what I did this, this last year. Um, I was... You know, working uh, as a as an insurance defense attorney for a big law firm, 
Uh, and then NFTs came along. And like you, I, I've been in crypto since about 2013. Um, I, I remember selling my, uh, my, my first dip uh, at about 10 bucks, uh, <laughs> Bitcoin, you know, and, um, uh, but, you know, NFTs to me kind of feels like uh, rewinding the clock. And uh, it's like, it's like the, the, the ship came back and uh, I, I just told myself I'm not missing it this time. And, you know, I think not that I missed it the first time. I don't want to like I, I did. I did OK in crypto, but I mean, yeah, nobody went as deep as then because we know more now. Right. It's like if I'd only done X word. Well, it's also just like I mean, you get into the situation where it doesn't matter how uh, how heavy of an allocation you put into crypto at the time when it 10 X's and 20 X's. It's just irresponsible to have 98 percent of your net worth and. In the cryptocurrency, yeah, I didn't do that on purpose. It started at five percent. That's right. Yeah, you know, you're, you, so you keep on rebalancing and rebalancing, and you sell all the way up, and then you feel like an idiot when you start doing the numbers and think, oh wow, if I would have just held that two hundred Bitcoin, I'm not having to even uh, pull out a calculator again. You know, so wow. this last year repurposing, I mean, that's that's exactly what happened because you know, around uh, June, July, I. Finding myself, uh, you know, running cases uh, on the defense side for insurance companies. Um, I kind of moved away from the poker career and tried to grow up for a better, uh, you know, for lack of a better <laughs> word. You know, I started uh, started a family uh, pretty recently, and just the health plan for for poker players is pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> well, on, on so many levels. So let's just talk about poker for a second, since you you and I both had the, that in common. I mean. As a cash player, I was really successful. I don't have a lot of. Uh, I've got places and caches at the World Series and the the Hall of Fame. Back back when we used to have the Hall of Fame, and of course, winning at the bike and the commerce, all that kind of stuff. But what I realized is is that the that poker, and I'm only speaking for me. I'm not. Any, it's it. I was making so much money, but it, it's a soulless life for me. That that. It, and, and no matter how much money I had, it was always transitory, right? Because I'm always like looking at my bankroll in the safe, right? And it's like, no, 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 I, I can't, I can't spend this because I need that in case I, I, I have a, a, a slip. And it's, it's, it's not life; it's just this perpetuation of fear. And then back then, when I was playing, right, in the in the, in the late '80s and '90s. Right? And I tell people, I was playing when like the big poker tournament was at the Normandy Casino and the biggest buy-in they had was 500 bucks. And that's, I, I played with Mike Sexton back then. I mean, that's, that's how old I, I go. But you just realize it's like now there are people trying to rob you of your cash and you need to have a gun and there's a game in Canada, so you need to get a gun in Canada. It's just the insanity that went for me in, in, in walking out of the Binion's Horseshoe realizing I haven't seen sunlight in three weeks. For me, I just, I, I had, I'm only speaking for me. It's just contrarian. And, and, and people are really surprised when they say, hey, did you hear about this? Or you hear about this? I go, nope. I, I just, I just don't engage anymore. That, that, but that's, I, I had to do that. And I know by the look on your face, at some root level, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Maybe not in your life, but you, you, you've seen there, there are others that, that are slaves to this. So, so David, I mean, you know, what you just described hits pretty close to home. Uh, there's, there's definitely a difference when you look at poker players. Uh, I, th I think there's a big difference between cash game players and tournament players. Um, be between the two, I mean, they, they both kind of turn into a grind. They both completely ruin you for money. <laughs> the money's better for cash games. Uh, you know, cash game uh, specialists, it's also a lot more stable. Um, but I, I, I think that one of the one of the big differences is uh, where the money comes from, right? With uh, with cash game players, I mean, you you you're never you're you're always just looking for easy spots where you can maximize your EV, maximize your hourly rate, and you find a good game, you never leave. You know, if you find the one guy who's going to just keep on dumping and dumping and dumping. You you just you you, you just, live there. You just want to sit to the left of him. You know <laughs> exactly. You know I mean I'll take that seat when it comes open. And you know there's there's room for a lot of guys like that here in Vegas on the Strip because this Strip you know is just you know Las Vegas is a beautiful town with just a you know uh, basically a conveyor belt of fresh tourist money and a lot of it ends up right there at the two five at the Bellagio or the Wynn, um, and it's it's not that hard uh, to to 
train yourself to be able to walk into a poker room, look at a two five game, recognize who you don't who you don't know, look at a Rolex on a one three or two five player, and say this is the spot. Lots of uh, you know just like some some alpha for poker players looking for a game. You know, learn from twenty years doing it. You look for you look for the loud games. You look for the you know look you look for alcohol on the table. You look for expensive watches. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and um, you don't challenge yourself as a cash game player. You look for the easy spot. You're not trying to prove to the world anything. You're just trying to make more than you could in uh, in, in a normal grind. And, and one thing, he, I, I know he knows this. You're looking for lots of calls, right? You're looking for like five people in. Right on the flop, even with absolutely. the raise, yeah, absolutely. So that's more important than any of those other things. Those other things help. And right? anytime somebody complains about, uh, you know, hands like aces getting cracked and it being a bad game because everybody calls you, how can you how can you win with aces when you have five people calling you pre-flop? It's like okay, this is the game to be in because yeah. this guy just fundamentally misses the point. I'll take my chances. And you know, like one thing that kind of helps as as a poker player, yeah, uh, you know, because I mean I was doing it for twenty years and and. One thing that really kind of um, helps is realizing that when you win a hand with aces, mm. you're actually running above expectation. You're the one getting lucky. Correct. When Unless you, your head's up. Even when your head's up. Yeah, it's 80% that you'll win heads up. That's right. right. right but. So when you win and you get 100% of the pot... Yeah, you're getting luckier than you're supposed to be because you're only supposed to be getting eighty percent right. of it. That's right. You know, and I think that so the money line is like one twenty-five. <laughs> if, if you think about, <laughs> I say I never got into the uh, I never degened into the sports uh, side of things. So the, the like equating uh, equating percentages to like odds just don't, doesn't. All, all sports are is is a red and black flop. That's all sports are. It's a red and black flop, right? And you've just talk, but you know, I think we're talking above our audience now. But go ahead. <laughs> But, so, uh, yeah, poker kind of ruins you for money. You know, it's really hard to go from uh, you know, it, go from the the relatively easy money of of sitting down at a uh, at a poker table and and the hours just kind of um, melt away. But I've also one of the things I noticed, and this was for me, and I, I believe for me in my hustle, and I'm glad it happened. TV killed it for me. Right, because these people start knowing who you are, and it doesn't help. Right, then people start gunning after you, and I, I know you can speak to this. But I looked around and I saw the people that were dominating this were in their 30s and 40s. Right, you got the you know, you, you got some people like the Tom McAvoy's of the world, and it, who it's etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, they they're tried and true, but they're 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 the um, exception, not the rule. But I learned. That there are there are bold poker players and there are old poker players, but there are no old bold poker players. Very few. <laughs> count, you can count them on uh, one hand. Yeah. Um, so, uh, cash games versus tournaments. You got the tournament poker players who are um, they don't get a, get to look for the soft spot at the table. They you know instead they're kind of looking for a soft field uh, of of the whole tournament as a you know in, in its entirety. But then you start getting to the end. And you really have no choice but to to, yeah, to, to go gamble. against people who are yeah, better, are better than yeah. you. And uh, you know that that's for me. That was always kind of the, the fun in poker was you know playing at the the highest elite level that you could find, and um, playing against people who you know school you from time to time. And uh, yeah, I, I liked poker quite a bit. Uh, it was, uh, tournament poker was really good when I started getting in the, the television, uh, you know, the televised whole cards and everything had just started, um, ESPN just started bringing in the cameras, um, in my first world series of poker main event, I went really deep and that was the 2003 moneymaker year. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So I, I was sharing with my, with my partner about this. I, I said, I, I was kind of close to Mansoor Matulabi, right? I, I don't know if he's still on the sugar. Do, do you ever see him in Mansoor around anymore? I've never seen him. Okay, but you know who he is. Yes. Right? Yeah, okay. And uh, For your audience, he was one of the WSP main event champions. Yeah, I think in 94, about about that area. Sounds about right. Yeah, and so and he said to me, he said, the key is you got to get lucky, right? And, and when I think of Chris Moneymaker, and I'm not trying to throw any shade, or even Kevin McBride, who lost to Scotty, Right, it, it's like he's he's an okay player that just ran luck because if he was anything, you would see more of him, right? And that was just that one thing, and you very much could have been moneymaker that year, right? Because I was talking to David about it because I, 
I know that you, the hand you went out on, you had pocket threes, and the flop comes two five nine. Or he has pocket threes, and the flop comes two five nine. He checks, and then you move all in. It's like how, how can you make that call? You had, had, had king queen is what, is what David said. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so I'm just I, I, even back to that. It's like how can you make that call? I mean, I guess it, it's just I feel for you, brother, <laughs> because because you're not supposed to make that call. Well, it was the right call. You it, know, it, sure, yeah, it mean, certainly was. Now, wasn't it? And uh, you know, I think I think about that hand a lot. I'm, I, I know. Well, that's <laughs> the, you know? so for our audience. That's the thing about the World Series of Poker, the main event for poker players. If you actually get busted out of that tournament, which virtually, which everybody does except for one, if you bust out of that tournament, you have an entire year to think about it. Now, this is before they've had the whole SOW, uh, the, the the World Poker Tour and all these these things. But it, it, it's like, and actually Jennifer Harmon, she's the one who said it to me. She says, that tournament is the one where you actually have the whole year to think about what you did wrong. And as you were talking about uh, you're as a lawyer, you're starting to think about, well, why am I doing this? And why am I doing that? Wisdom doesn't come from easy things. Wisdom comes from these pains. And, the, and, and I've always said this, if you want to, if you want to know who the best bomb maker is, look for the guy who's missing a few fingers, right? That's, that's the guy to ask how to make a bomb him, <laughs> not the guy with the manicure, right? That's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I don't know a lot about bomb making, but I, I agree. I mean, like you don't really know somebody, including yourself, in, until you've you, you, you've met success, failure, and time, and uh, you definitely learn a lot more from the failures. You know, the, the nice thing about winning a tournament is you don't have to think about what you did wrong. You don't have to think about the times you got lucky and no, you didn't get lucky. Uh, you played well, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But you understand. We've all no, no, no. I it's it's. I was feeling it. I I you know we've all had that. That's well, that's what that's what's interesting about poker, right? And that's you. You've always made this analogy about poker and recruiting. Like, I mean, in recruiting, like you, you, you feel like the guy, the person should take it, and all of a sudden, the the, the candidate says, ah, "I'm not going to take it." And you're like, "What?" And I, and I and I can and I can I can relate because you made the right call based on the numbers and everything. I I, I understand it, I conceptually, but I, I mean, I I don't really play. Uh, but you made the right call based on everything you knew. Of of the data, right? And well, I, what I would say is, I made the the I made the decision that felt right at the time. You know, with specifically with MoneyMaker, I mean, I made the wrong call. I underestimated him. I looked at this guy and thought, "There's no way we're 16, 15 left in the WSOP main event. There's no way he's going to call off his whole stack with what I think he has, which is a small pocket pair, or Ace, ace Five high, or Ace Five. You know, there's no way he's going to call off his whole stack." And go back to Tennessee, you know, and and go back to his his accounting job, and 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 say that was my that was my shot, and I and uh, that's how I went out. I I really kind of underestimated him, you know, because it, it it when I looked at him, I thought, okay, this this guy is just going to try to ladder up. He's looking at you know a million dollars for third place, and you know, million and a half or second or whatever Which it is. Which is life-changing for him at the time? It's life-changing yeah. for everybody. You know, the, the, the money jumps at that point, you know, they're, they're fortunes, you know, they're life savings for the, diff the difference between ninth and eighth, you know, and, you know, you look around the room and you see real legends. I mean, Phil Ivey was right there with us and David Singer and Amir Vahidi and Sammy Farah and, like, Real solid players, yeah. you know, who already had built a reputation. I mean, Phil, everyone already knew Phil Ivey was the best, you know. So I looked at MoneyMaker and and I underestimated him. I thought there's no way he's going to put his whole tournament life on the line here and then go back with a, a quaint little story about some how some nobody knocked him out of the WSOP. He's going to fold and he's going to ladder up and he's going to go out in fifth or sixth place. And his life is going to change because he's going to. Well, that's what I'd have done, but but then I, yeah. I think about it differently. But I do want to say this: that and, we're, and there's a reason I act, and I'm glad this conversation is going so organic as it has. But there's a reason that, uh, as far as recruiting and poker, right? Recruiting the key to poker is good starting hands. And when someone says, "Hey, what's it, what's it take to get good at poker?" I said, "Learn how to fold," and that's all the advice I get them. All right, if it, yeah. if you haven't learned how to fold, then go away. It's like saying and, no. To and business. if you don't know what I'm talking about then keep playing more hands, right? So learn how to fold, and I, I walk away. Because I'm not going to like give you a studio on how to play ace-king versus a pair of nines. It's just, nah, I'm not, I had to pay to learn. But even right now, I just I don't want, I don't want to go there emotionally. But the thing is, it's, it's starting hands, right? Starting hands with candidates 
right? Mm -hmm. Candidates and clients. And that's why we, as we repurpose ourselves, the recruiting firm, we say no a lot. Right. Right. And I, I explained this to John Orlando. I said the key to, to winning at the tournament that Dutch is talking about, most players are looking for reasons to play, right? You need to be looking for reasons not to play. It needs to be really, really boring. Right. But with that actually having been said, you take starting hands and candidates. This is a good candidate, good attitude, good willingness, good skills. Right. And and the, the, you know, it's like you got aces and also you got five callers. All of a sudden there's king, king, queen, queen, right? That starting hand is no longer good. So when the candidate's attitude changes, when like the wife isn't signing on for it or they've got another offer, yeah. then walk you away. fold. Yeah, you just yeah. walk away. Learn to fold. Yep. Right? And But the, the thing about it is poker players, real analytical, right? Because they're thinking about what is the price I'm getting for this risk? And that's the same thing as it relates to crypto. And I, I would love talking to you. We could go on and on about poker. You're still, just so engaging, right? But it's just people, they ask me, hey, did I know you? And it's like, no, but I knew of you. Right, because uh, at that time, uh, I had just made a movie called The Big Blind, and uh, Scotty Wynn, Jennifer Harmon, and uh, Daniel Negreanu were in it. I mean, it's I call it my one million dollar drink coaster, because it's uh, basically <laughs> it cost me a million dollars. The DVD is free, but you put the drink on the on the case. So, but you know, you know, my exit had come right when you were actually showing up for that. But so, talk about the analytical way that someone looks at poker starting hands like projects and, and you saw crypto it, so poker really does get you ready for crypto how yeah. so there's a lot of things about the poker mindset that you can you know that, that kind of is, is just perfectly tailored for crypto and nft uh trading i would say specifically um one thing the swings you know, any, right. any poker player... Talk about the swings, please. Any poker player, uh, especially tournament poker players, understand uh, that at some point in your career you get divorced from money and you look at uh, you know, a five or even six-figure downswing or upswing and you don't feel it the same way anymore. You know, A big part of uh, being successful in poker is, is removing yourself from results. You have to look at it as uh, expected value and if you win or lose, it doesn't matter. It's how you played the hand and if you played it well, and that's what you focus on. And you don't hmm. think about, oh, I just lost $80,000 on that hand. Oh, I just... And, and when people talk about removing themselves from results, it's not just bad results. You also, to be successful in poker, you have to remove yourself, remove yourself from the positive results. And this is a this is a, this is a tougher thing to do. Chirping chips. It's a tougher thing to exactly. Tell tell them about There's, chirping well, that's, chips. That's tell. like that's like uh, that's uh, you've always said this. Uh, recruiting is the highest of the high and lowest of the lowest. So what you're talking mm -hmm. about is what you, what you're describing to me is what is what that is. Like you you can't. Like you win big, all right. You win, you lose big, all right. You know, let's stay right here, mm -hmm. kind of thing. In what? poker, we have something that we call tilt, and everybody looks at tilt as, oh, that's what happens when you're losing. But it's also what happens when you're winning. It's also what happens when things are going really well. You have a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar tournament score, and you think, now I don't have to work for two years. But it doesn't work that way. You know, after a while, you realize that you you, you can't look at results. I mean, part and, and part of divorcing yourself from that is divorcing yourself from the big wins, just like the big losses. Mm -hmm. And it's the you know you, you just kind of look at it as as it, as an entirety. Well, just for the audience, I want everybody to know that I've never lost with aces, and I've never been on tilt. But I'm trying to understand this concept you're speaking of. <laughs> so it, I mean, you've been running really good. You've probably never lost a dime in crypto either uh, on nope. some nope. crappy nope. Uh, meme coin or. Nope. Nope, I've right. always bought low and sold high. I'm amazing. <laughs> That's why we tune in. You know? <laughs> so you keep know, going, Dutch. I love you. That that you know that mindset gets you ready. You know, you can pull out your Coin Market Cap app, and you can see. Uh, I mean, recently, you know, this week has just been a bloodbath, a bloodbath. And I think people who are you know kind of in a normal, um, maybe healthy mental framework for most of life, they're going to look at something like that and see, uh, you know, a, a, a year's salary down the drain in one day, and it's just going to crush them. They're going to, they're going to flee. They're going to get out. Uh, or they're going to look at a huge, like, a huge upswing, um, more than they, they made in the last couple of months, and they're going to think, oh, well, I can quit my job. You know, and, and poker gets you divorced from the, from the reality of the money. And the reality of life sometimes. I mean, we got to talk about this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, you, for one thing, you stop looking at money as, uh, you know, as having, 
You know, you, 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 poker, you start developing unhealthy attitudes towards money. You stop looking at it in, in, in terms of what it can buy. And like giving the gal of cage $100. Absolutely. It's a tool, and, then, and it means nothing. And then you also start, in a weird way, uh, kind of merging yourself worth with your bankroll. Yes. You know, and so it becomes like a tool for self-validation, but not, you stop thinking about what it can actually buy, because if you do, it, it, you, you, you won't behave that way. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a tool to increase in stakes, and it's a, uh, it, it's a way to uh, measure how you're, how you're doing. And that's, you know, as, as, you know, as counterintuitive, and, and I would actually argue unhealthy, of an attitude that is towards money, it lends itself really well to trading crypto, trading NFTs. And the other thing about NFTs specifically uh, that I think works really well with tournament poker is with tournament poker, you have a lot of misses for every one really good score. You'll, you know, as a tournament poker player, it's not like cash games because cash games. It's like being a baseball player that's got a 4% batting yeah. average. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're Hall of Fame, remember Hall of Fame is one out of three. Yeah, but we're we're talking poker. You know, you're you're a, a mad mad money winner if you're like a four, cash four percent of the time. I or think in, in the money higher. percentage, in the money percentage is going to be about twenty percent for for a real solid winning tournament. Not as compared player. to baseball, I was taking like the third, like thirty three percent is Hall of Fame for baseball. So it's got to be four percent. For but with tournament poker, in the money just means you get your money back. You know, most yeah, of the time, yeah, yes, especially with the deeper fields, which is what you're generally playing as a tournament pro because those are the softer fields. Um, you're looking at uh, a very small percent, sometimes sub one percent, that you'll actually win. Yeah, um, the yield is very. It's a low return, right? That's that's what you're saying. It's a it's a, it's a low yielding return. Um, I, I would say like high high variance. Yeah, you know, it depends. So. You know, it's um, you, you, that kind of that specifically gets you ready for NFTs because with NFT drops, you know, you'll mint ten projects, uh, and the majority of the majority of these NFT projects uh, are are you know end up results wise to be losers, and I don't mean to call NFT projects and the teams behind them well, losers. It's the, same, it's the same thing as as uh, cryptocurrencies, ICOs, right? They, these guys can't all. All wins. Same thing with Facebook, MySpace. I mean, it, it's Avis Hertz. It's it's just a natural Darwin law of competition, right? Sure. And whatever is going to take the greatest Metcalf effect network, it's going to be the winner. And so by default, that's a loser. So yep. I, I'm not taking that you're saying. Yeah, and then that begs the question: like, how do you pick winners? I mean, out of out of this out of this NFT space, that that's the. I mean, what's is there like a formula for picking the winners? Or is there? Yeah. Well, well, before you get to that, I wanted I wanted to weave this in. You answer this any way you want. I was going to ask. It's like okay, so let's talk about taking your your analytical mind, your lawyer, and your poker playing ability, and how you were looking at cryptocurrency before the NFTs. How how you were look looking at that trading versus holding, et cetera, et cetera. I believe there's only two people that make money, hodlers and exchanges. But as far as cryptocurrency, I'm not talking about NFTs. With cryptocurrency, <clears throat> sorry. With cryptocurrency, I, wouldn't, uh, I, I wasn't really a big trader. Um, you know, I, I just pretty much stuck with uh, Bitcoin for a long time, um, selling all the way up, but then uh, gradually moved over to Ethereum. Uh, it, the, 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 the smart contract idea... Uh, it took a little while to grok, but after you know, after I did, I realized that Ethereum is actually really cool. What you can do with it, mm -hmm. you know, Bitcoin, not so much. <clears throat> Bitcoin, what can you do with it? You know, it it started out as a, uh, a a way to permissionlessly transfer value, but now it's not. Now it's become a way to store value, and that that's a big distinction. You can't send your buddy five dollars in Bitcoin anymore. Well, it, it's silly to do so, right? It's like it's like uh, bartering a piece of land, right? You got a, you have five acres, and you're like, here, here's a you know square footage of 100 square feet, you know. And it's I'm silly. I've been in long enough, as you have, that we remember when Bitcoin wasn't you know something that you were were going to store. It was something that you were going to use and spend. You know, I I, I got into Bitcoin uh, primarily because uh, my friend here in Vegas, a guy named Brian Mycon, started an online poker site using Bitcoin. It was called Seals with Clubs, and, you know... It, it, <laughs> I remember. It had some great games, and he was trying to promote it by giving away Bitcoin. He would give away a Bitcoin to anybody who would sign up. 
and uh, super soft tables and you know, they had mixed games, which I loved. And I, I, I just, you know, kind of went down the rabbit hole, um, you know, and then you know, that was kind of the time of Silk Road as well. And when Silk Road got shut down, that's when I sold most of my Bitcoin because I thought, well, th that was it. The whole value proposition here is to be able to use it for drugs and gambling. And now they just shut down the drug side of it. It's going to crash. It didn't. Instead, it kind of matured and became something else. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I first got, you know, my first Bitcoin was to spend, not to hold. It, and and I, I feel like that was the attitude back then was this is not a store of value. It's a, tra it's a way to transfer value. And now you look at Bitcoin and you, it just doesn't work for that anymore. You know, you have to use something, you know, you, you have to use a different coin where the, the transaction fees are fractions of a cent. You're never going to have micropayments in Bitcoin. I mean, maybe one day down the line. It, they we might. will if, if, we, if we start talking to Satoshis, don't you think? Well, it's, you still have the gas fee, which with Bitcoin is just, you know, kind of... Uh, it, it, is, it is prohibitive, I get that. Well, it's not, nothing is more prohibitive this week or this month than the gas fees of Ethereum. And, and that's why I know that Richard Hart's doing this thing called Pulse Chain. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I don't. Is this a layer two solution or a completely different layer one? No, he's, ma he's making a... Uh, it's layer one. He's making a copy of the entire... Uh, he, he's a hard fork of the Ethereum network. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not an Ethereum maximalist, just like I wasn't a Bitcoin maximalist. Well, I tell people I'm a coinosexual. I'm, I'm attracted <laughs> to multiple coins. I, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'll, I'm going to use that. I'm actually going to tell people I invented that term. You know what? <laughs> you, you may, for one black chick, you know every what? time you say it. No, if hey, you want to hey, get... <laughs> we'll license it to you, okay? Yeah. No, no. no, no, no <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm already cutting the deal. For Every time you say it, it's like, I owe David James a black chip. I think that there's some really good smart con you know, alternatives to Ethereum. You know, you, you got uh, you, you got Solana for one. You got Tezos. You got uh, Avalanche. Um, there's other there, there's other layer ones and Pulse. I I don't know a lot about it, but I assume that it's you know smart contract same guy capable. Did, same guy that did Hex. Probably uh, you know NFT native on the chain. Um, I, I don't know how those are going to play out. I've, you know, I, but I think uh, you know there's room for a lot of different, uh, a lot of different cryptos. Um, but so when it comes to NFTs, uh, you know, what really got me into Ethereum and to move the holdings over to Ethereum was the idea of these smart contracts and actually having utility. The first NFT I ever bought was ENS. It was these uh, domain names. I was really big into domain names when it was .com, .net. Um, and you and Michael Saylor. Yeah. You know, and, and the idea of uh, the idea of having a decentralized naming service just seemed like a, a, a no-brainer. This is something that we're going to need for for Web three and decentralized, uh, uh, you know, the the decentralized internet, the future. So I picked up a whole bunch of them, and and those are NFTs. You know, I, I don't think that they were the first NFTs, but they were close. Uh, kind of like unstoppable domains. Yeah, I mean, unstoppable domains was basically a fork of the NS uh, and a centralized. Fork, uh, yeah, a centralized fork, touche. But there's touché. a there, there, there's a lot of benefits that Unstoppable Domains has over ENS. I mean, for one, you you never you know, with ENS, it's like the you know dot coms where you never actually own it; you're always just renewing it. I want to divert the conversation to two things. I want your strategy for buying, uh, picking NFTs as mm -hmm. it relates to poker, and of course, I don't want to run out of runway here without talking about your project. No, we got plenty. I just uh, so let's go back to. I'm sorry, my enthusiasm's getting the best of me. Uh, so that never happens. Yeah, so usually Dave does all the talking. ENS is what really got me into <laughs> NFTs, okay. you know, because ENS is an ERC-721 NFT. It was one of the first ones, but I do think punks were the... Actually, I don't even think punks were an ERC-721, but we're kind of getting into the weeds there, you know, uh, and no one cares, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they were giving away punks, and they were giving away ENS names, and I chose ENS names uh, over punks. And I didn't get the whole idea of why would you want a JPEG? Why would you want to do that? Right. I'm still in the... I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it either. Like, I, that's the thing is... I, I, I Well, I get it now. Well, tell the audience. Tell, you know, school, school David. I will. I will. You know, I'm glad that we had this conversation. Yeah, that's, gonna, that's my goal right is there. to convert you. <laughs> convert you into an NFT believer. Because uh, it took me a long time to get it. I understood NFTs uh, as far as utility goes. And, and the ENS, that was utility. When, when you could register... Uh, which I did, uh, when it really sunk in was when I registered highscore.eth, .eth. 
and I wrote a one-page React app for tic-tac-toe and deployed it on the IPFS. And there it was. You could connect to it with the Brave, uh, the Brave browser, a website where you could go and play tic-tac-toe. And I realized no one can take this down. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And coming from a poker background where my whole livelihood was just erased overnight when there was, uh, you know, when some politicians decided, you know what, maybe we shouldn't let people play online poker. You know, they, they took down the sites overnight and one day I didn't have to worry about money. And the next day I was basically flat, flat out broke. of a job. Right. And, and, uh, and your money was confiscated temporarily. Yeah. And it completely <laughs> affected the industry. And I realized then that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, well, a need for permissionless currency, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's one of the things right. that got me attracted to Bitcoin. Right. But there was, it also made me realize there's a need for a censorship proof or at least resistant internet structure. And that's what ENS is. I had high score up there and yeah, it was just a tic-tac-toe game, but nobody could take it down. And that was just like, wow, this is really interesting because it doesn't have to be a tic-tac-toe. This could be a sports book. You know, I could have used sportsbook.eth and popped up a peer-to-peer -peer sports betting exchange, and no one would be able to just take it down from the domain level. No one could take it down from the hosting level because it's, it's on IPFS. It's not hosted anywhere. And that's when I really started seeing the utility of, of these uh, you know, NFTs and kind of the future of decentralization, what it really means. And it's, it's, it's a little bit troubling, too. I mean, like, you know, we don't really want to live in a world where you can go and go to assassinate.eth you know, or yeah. have like a murder DAO. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's lots of bad. And, and, and no, and you find your name down there, like there's seven contracts for your death. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and like there's a, there's a lot of bad stuff on the internet that all, should be taken down. Things, I, you I know? don't see the idea as bad now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you know, for for better or worse, when you look at crypto and you look at you know the the origins of what we're doing here, it was it was created by these types of. Uh, ultra libertarians who you know crypto anarchists who you know are, are looking for a way to make sure that china can't take down google and i yeah that's something that kind of appeals to me so that's how i got into nfts and i was not into punks or this idea of you know art as nfts right when uh you know nifty gateway started you know selling beeples and they were giving away punks for literally nothing i didn't care and i didn't want one i focused on ens focused on utility and focused on building stuff and it took a long time to realize that uh that was the wrong view you know i mean i don't understand why i didn't see it earlier because as a kid i was all about collecting magic cards and baseball cards right. and run around at baseball conventions and go on eBay and sell magic cards, you know, and it, it's just like, I've, I've always loved that idea of collecting. So the idea that you don't really need a physical thing to collect, um, that, that should have sunk in earlier. Well, hold on a second. I have trouble explaining this. I had somebody say to me that all the NFTs are, are is, is it's, it's trading collectibles, trading cards, it's lifestyle, pretty girls, models, and sports memorabilia and art. Mm -hmm. And so basically, so basically, all we are is now we're just the world is just this big art studio. Somebody's got to be the loser in that deal. I, I was having a hard time explaining that based on your medical records or your insurance history as an NFT or your your transcripts. Yeah, I mean, I I, th I think that you know, I talking so. about those kind of utility cases for NFTs, yeah, uh, you, you don't really need to sell that. You look at them and say, look, you you have. You have a smartphone, you know, an, an iPhone, not you know, a thirty-dollar Android ripoff. You you didn't you didn't get all your clothes at, at Goodwill, and you don't drive a Fiat. You know, I mean, like the, all of these things are just like don't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> all these things are physical representations of self-expression and okay. you know, owning things. Yes, and, you know, like if, if that's just who we are. You know, I mean, we're evolved to want to collect and 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 play status games and. You know, I, 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 I was never one to really, you know, like go out and try to impress people by wearing a Rolex. Um, All cash, no flash, right? That's what we say. But you know, <clears throat> I, I, I get it. And now that, you know, I've got a bored ape as my avatar, it's kind of the same thing. 
you know, and it didn't start that way because it started as a way to signal that, oh, you're one of the early, you know, uh, techno Illuminati who's, who's hip to this new technology. When I got my board ape, I, I got it the day after minting it. It was, you know, low hundreds. You know, it was the day after they sold out and all, you know, almost overnight, the, uh, the, my Twitter timeline, everybody I respected in tech had this monkey as their avatar. I was like, okay, this feels like punk, so I'm going to go ahead and get one. And then I recommended to everybody, you know, to go get one. Put a great big blast, uh, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. As your attorney, I advise you to go buy a monkey. <laughs> you know? And that was the day after. You know, that was when you could get a board eight for $200, $300. And I got one. I didn't, like, I didn't fill a bag, which I should have. I got one. And then, you know, you fast forward a couple of months and it switches from uh, a status indicator that you're kind of keen on this new technology to a status indicator that you uh, have a quarter million dollar JPEG. And, it, you know, now people who are buying into Bored Apes are very different. You know, Keemstar bought in. You got Jimmy Fallon and Timbaland and people who don't care about money. That's not me. You know, like right. when I got my Bored Ape, it was like $300 on a JPEG. Okay, I'm going to do it. That's... It's a full day's work at the law firm. I'll give you six hundred for it right now. Yeah. That's a good double up. That yeah, is a good double up. <laughs> hey, just before, so let's talk about your project specifically. What you're doing? So around August, you know, when I'm going and, and trucking into my uh, defense firm to to defend against uh, fender benders, um, you know, I'm I'm turning down a six figure offer for my board ape and realizing, you know. I, there's something going on here in NFTs that I really should try to get a you know get a piece of and be a part of and build. You know, I've always liked the idea of building stuff and you know when NFTs really clicked for me that with with the JPEGs and, and understanding how a JPEG can really have the value it brings is when I bought the board ape and I went to Discord and I connected with the Collabland bot where it reached into my wallet. It said, "Yep, you have one of these. Now all these channels are available to you." Hmm. And I was like, wow, this isn't a JPEG. This is like a, this is like a membership to, you That's know, right. a club, you know, mm. and, uh, these people are interesting. These people are like-minded, you know, I can, you know, I don't have real life friends, you know, at, at you know, at, at the point, at that point, even now, really, I mean, uh, well, you got young kids and you're married, so no, no, no. What, I, I don't mean it like that, but basically, even if you have, friends, you didn't let yeah. me finish the sentence. Yeah. It wasn't friends, period. Family, I don't have. Career, I don't have in real. Three. I don't have friends. Period. No, that no. wasn't a period. There. <laughs> Look, I'm trying. I was I continuing mean, saying my you friends. Gotta, you got to forgive my friend here. He, he tends to cut people off prematurely. <laughs> I didn't cut anybody off. Sorry, <laughs> sorry you don't have friends, Dad. Jesus, <laughs> I will be your friend. So uh, you know, like you get into these like-minded groups, and you know, I've always like. <laughs> That's when it really clicked that these this isn't just a JPEG, you know. But even if it was, like, then I kind of went back and started picking up just for the art's sake, like some of those nifty gateway ones where it's just the art. There's a, a guy who's dropping. Here's some alpha for your for your. Well, probably not gonna get. It's, it's probably gonna be too late. Here's some alpha for you two. Is there's basically a modern Michelangelo dropping a uh, an NFT piece on NiftyGateway.com Wait, on you, Thursday? Are you talking about the the Monday, the I'm, Salvador Monday? That? No, okay. I'm talking about Rafe Grissetti. Okay. Uh, it's on Thursday. It's going to be about 3:30 our time. It'll be a drawing that's open to non-collectors. I think you might have to have some Nifty Gateway pieces, but you can transfer NFTs into Nifty Gateway. And the way that the Nifty Gateway drawings work is you you sign up. It's a $2,000 drawing, but you don't get charged unless you win. And if you do win, you're going to be able to flip it for 10K. It's that simple. And then you're going to have to tell your, your, your grandkids 30 years from now how you sold a Rafe Grissetti for a 5X return, where it's basically like having the statue of David from Michelangelo. I mean, if Michelangelo was alive today, he'd be working in Unity, and he'd be doing this kind of thing, because this is, this is what they're doing. He's a sculptor. I'd rather tell my kids that <clears throat> I bought 10 Bitcoin at the first time. That, that's what I'd rather tell my, kid, my well, grandkids. Well, I think that there's a decent chance that when you're talking to your grandkids, a single Rafe Grissetti might be worth more than 10 Bitcoin. Okay. So let, let, we're talking about worth. And you, Dutch, you're so fascinating, and I've, we've gotten so much out of this that more than we thought we would, just from a macro standpoint. <laughs> not, I mean, not, not more than I thought I would. I, I knew we were getting ourselves. Well, you know, you, I mean, you're, a you're a poker player like me, so our standards are low. I'm kidding. Um, so where is the liquidity coming? Let's just talk about crypto, not NFTs. 
where is all the liquidity coming from to crypto? It's got to be leaving something else. Now, we can say that we had this massive money printing of an extra three, five, ten trillion dollars, whatever that was. Seven but, trillion, yeah. Well, we do know that 30% of all the money in the history of the world has been printed in the last two years, <laughs> right? So there's that. But I, but, but when I watch crypto go up, I just want to, I want to ask, hey, where, where's the soft spot for this? Where, how long can this, this run? I mean, where is the money for crypto? Is it leaving real estate? Is it leaving bonds? How, what's your take? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. I, I think that what it is ultimately is it's just a conversion of, of, of man hours. That's all it is. Okay. That's where it's coming from. Is you, 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 spend, you spend 200 hours um, researching crypto. Okay. Let's say you don't even buy it, but somewhere there's value that's been created in some sort of weird, yes. Um, yes. you know, uh, abstract kind of way. You know, money is, is imaginary and the value that we put on anything is, is largely just a fiction. That's a social construct between us. But what's not a fiction is that we all have limited time. And that I think is really what's propping up the value of everything else. So I think that's where the, the, the value kind of comes from. You know, you can, you can kind of say, oh, well, it comes from the code or it comes from electricity or, you know, it, it comes from other asset classes. But I think ultimately what, what's going on is that you're seeing uh, an actual conversion of, of attention and, and time. So, you know, with, with NFTs, you got a certain number of people who are interested in it, a certain number of people who say, you know, I'll get together and say, yeah, this, this board ape is worth uh, 30,000, 50,000, 100,000. At some point, the, the, the dollar values just kind of become imaginary, you know, and it's just like, yeah. So that's kind of where I, what I think is propping it up and, and how far can it go? Well, it can go and it can go forever because, you know, money is imaginary. You know, and there's there's really no reason why we even have it. You know, except just to make you know transactions easier and easier to like identify. Now, I understand groups. exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know that everybody else will. But you, that you got to like make your walk in crypto, just like you know, like like remember Super Mario? Yeah, was the I, worst I do. Wor <laughs> worst worst poker player ever. The worst, right? But he just kept getting his butt kicked, right, and losing his money. And also he, he said, "Hey, maybe I shouldn't go all in with pocket fours, three three handed." Uh, so. You know, like I, I think that one uh, one book that can kind of get you to to kind of see things differently that really helped me was uh, a lot of the Yuval uh, Noah Harari books. He uh, wrote one about uh, called Sapiens, which really made me kind of think differently about humanity as as a species and and how we set up our structures. And I, you know, a lot of this stuff I sh it, it should have come to me earlier because I have you know I have my undergrad in sociology. Um, which that's really just all it is, 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 is examining the social structures that we create. But, it, you know, I didn't really, it didn't really click until a long, uh, well after. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you were asking about, how you can spot a good NFT project. Let's drop some alpha on your users, okay? Okay. Let's go real simple. First off, team, okay? This is probably the most important thing because when it comes to NFT value, you've got the art, you've got the utility, and you've got the community. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is that community is way more important than utility and way more important than art. Shitty art projects can still move. The art doesn't matter. The art doesn't matter. It's almost non-consequential to, to price. And some of the most successful NFT projects don't even have art. You look at Loot. Or you look at the End Project, which don't even have art. They mooned. Why do they moon? Because they have uh, a really strong community and a promise of utility. So the first thing you look at is team. You see who's behind the project, and you see if they've done successful projects before. You see if people will listen to them, and you know you don't want you don't want influencers and pumpers. You want builders. Mm -hmm. You go with where the builders are. You go where the artists are. I mean, artists are builders, so you go with the builders. You look what builders are minting. You look what you know people who created things like a guy named D. Hoff who created uh, Vine. Now he's creating NFTs, and when he creates something, everyone gets on board. Uh, some of the people who work with him, uh, you know, Grimplin, he creates uh, cryptodes, and all of a sudden it just moons, and everyone's like, why did it moon? These things look ugly. Yeah, the, the art doesn't matter. What matters is the builder here, Grimplin. Everyone knows that he's a great builder. So everyone's going to jump on, and it's like, well, they don't have utility. It doesn't matter. Community is bigger than utility. So you look at, you look at the team, you see what they've done before, 
if you're if it's not a doxed team, if it's not somebody that you can actually look right. up and see Twitter, and they have some sort of reputation that they're putting on the line for the drop, if it's just an image of, and, and it doesn't go out to anybody, or it does go to a Twitter that was set up last week, don't mint, don't mint, because even if it does go up, it's going to go straight back down, and you might make money. You might be able to make money flipping the bag to some other holder, but if, if, you, if, if the team itself is in a, at least semi-doxed, where there's some reputation points on the line being wagered on the drop, that's the first indicator that it's, that it's a bail. And if it's a good team, that's the first indicator that it's, uh, it's going to be a mint. There's certain people in the industry that if they, mint, if they attach their name to the project, you know it's going to be a home run. You just know. So um, other little things that you can look at for NFT projects to kind of know what to mint and what to stay away from. Look for a terms of service. Look for a privacy policy. Scroll to the bottom, <laughs> click on privacy policy, and if you can't, realize that the team doesn't know what they're doing because there's laws in, 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 you know, all over the world that say you have to have a privacy policy. And if they don't have a terms of service, it's probably because they don't have a company. If they don't have a company, then it's likely they didn't even dox themselves to each other. So those are like the main <laughs> things. You look at the, uh, you look at the uh, drop mechanism. I mean, you know, a, a real big one is just simple typos on the website. I mean, you know, these NFT projects are so low effort that they don't even proofread their stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the, and then you can look at their smart contract. Look at the smart contract and see if. Um, see what they name their functions and see if it's just a complete, and, you know, this is kind of a little bit, you know, NFT investor level two stuff, you know, but eventually if you're going to be successful in the NFT game, you're going to have to understand and learn how to look at a smart contract mint directly from a smart contract and track it as it's minting. So you look at the smart contract itself. One thing I like to look at is, uh, is, is, um, a, a header graphic in the smart contract itself. I think good teams who actually care about this kind of stuff are putting up, you know, a, a comment of an image and who they are and, you know, it, making their smart contract actually aesthetically pleasing at, at, at a base ASCII level. And uh, then you look at their, their functions and see if they bothered to rename them from the Open Zeppelin library, you know, instead of mm. Mint, is it called Mint a Mech? Or, you know, you see if they're doing anything special in the smart contract where they had to do even a lick single line of novel code and if they are it means okay this is a little bit you know higher than low effort they're doing something interesting here so that's why wolf game two weeks ago did something kind of cool you know 100x if you got in at the right time because they actually were doing something on a technical level that no one had seen before and it's and, and it, it 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 flags it indicates these guys are actually interested in building something right and being unique about it yeah yeah and uh then what do you do the day of the mint, you look at the smart contract and you look at the total supply and you see how it's selling out. Um, a lot of my most successful hits in the NFT space, I didn't even know uh, about until minutes before I minted. Generally, if you're going to be full time in the NFT space, which you know I am since August when I went and quit my job because I was turning down a year's salary for a JPEG, um, <laughs> you're going to want tools. So I use IC tools, Nansen.ai, and they track all the successful wallets. So you can see if Pranksy or Jimmy ETH is minting something. If Zeneca is minting something, you can go ahead and back run their trades. Sometimes you can kind of mid run their trades because you get in right when they're getting in. Recently, uh, just two days ago, Pranksy picked up a whole bunch of art blocks, uh, a project called, I think, Gazers. And that art blocks curated went sky high after he did it. It went from a floor of one ETH to three just because he picked up 20 or 30 of them. So you want to track those kind of wallets and kind of go with where the successful uh, people are going because at some level, these, these NFTs become valuable when people collect them. If the right people collect mm -hmm. them, they become valuable. Yeah, it, it's funny because we, we got the reverse on that. We've got another guest who, who's going to be on. Uh, next week, and they actually got the uh, the Kobe Bryant Mamba watch, right? And they're making that into an NFT. And one so of three. Yeah, one one, of, one three. of three. So that's the exact opposite. That's the collector of the NFT. Anyhow, Dutch, I just want to, before we run out of time, do you want to plug your project and how people can get a hold of you? And yeah, so the NFT project that I'm doing now is called Mech Arcade. It's at mecharcade.com. Uh, we, we found uh, some really great art, me and uh, a, 
a, a guy I do a lot of trading with, a guy named Steve Dolly. I think you're going to have him on the podcast yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, and so he was, when I tweeted that about, as your attorney, go, go buy a monkey, he actually took me up on it and he bought like 10 of them. So I'm a little salty to see him, you know, seeing that he's paying off, a, you know, his, his mortgage with my picks, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's, he's somebody that I, I really have, have, you know, I was friends with before this crazy crypto stuff. And I'm, you know, now we, you know, every, you know, every day we were talking to each other about trading ideas and trading together and minting at the same time and doing really well. And we were saying, look, we should just do an NFT project. You know, we understand the space and we can build some really cool things uh, long term. There's no reason why um, why we shouldn't. We should we should actually build something here. So we were on the lookout for some good art to kind of base it on. We found this. Uh, we, we found it uh, in the form of the Mech Arcade Mechs. Um, a couple of uh, a couple of Brazilian uh, students. Uh, two brothers put out these mech uh, NFTs on OpenSea. They didn't really get traction, but we loved the art. We bought out the lot. Then we reached out and asked if they wanted to kind of set up this company with us. Uh, they did, and we you know, made them full partners in this uh, Wyoming LLC and started putting together the Solidity code. I, I knew some devs that could do, uh, you know, kind of build a, build a 10,000 generative project out of this IP. And uh, the plan really is to, you know, where I think that the NFT space is going to be going hard in in the next few years is gaming. The plan yeah, with the Mech Arcade definitely. is to um, basically lead into, lean into NFTs and gaming. We're building them for interoperability. So they've got stats and full 3D assets that you can port into other gaming experiences, full commercial rights. And then we're trying to build our own, uh, you know, game implementations for using them, uh, including some tokenomics, play-to-earn kind of stuff. And uh, you know, coming from a, a professional poker background, I, I mean, I love poker, but I'm really a gamer at heart. If you could play Hearthstone or Magic: The Gathering and make millions of dollars in the in the championships, that's where I would have been playing. Uh, you know, poker is a fun game, but there's better games. And I look back at all the all the time spent on games like World of Warcraft. Call of Duty, Rust, you know, my, my Steam library is filled with skins. My Warcraft bank is filled with tabs of just lost value where I've put in thousands and thousands of man hours and can't take it with me. Right. And NFTs are, t are changing that pair. You know, they're, they're changing that. I don't think people are going to be willing to put in substantial amounts of time in a game anymore in the future without being able to take value that they build no it's bringing tangible value to energy and storage of energy yeah yeah and i think that where we are is attention is the scarce uh is, is what's scarce and people are going to get paid for their attention and you're going to look at these gaming environments where it's not play to earn at the expense of other people who are putting money in you know it's it's play to earn because the game actually serves a purpose itself that you don't quite see Crypto is kind of cool like that. I think what we're going to see in the future is people are going to load up kind of their World of Warcraft, and while they're sitting there running around in Ogremar, their graphics card is mining crypto, and their hard disk is you know, connected to things like uh, Filecoin and Sia, and they're, they're mining Gollum by contributing to you know, some SETI project, and they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're providing real value to you know partners of this gaming experience. They're just enjoying the game. Kind of like the bees don't know that they're actually moving pollen from each flower to flower. That's right. Same kind of thing. Dutch Boyd, I, I want to go on. I, I will just catch part two. <laughs> catch part two, everybody. David, thanks for having me on the show. Dave, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I appreciate you guys' time. I appreciate you guys' uh, audience. And definitely check out mecharcade.com. Yeah. You know, I think that we're going to be building something pretty cool. And uh, even, even if you don't mint, just join our Discord because uh, me and my partner, Steve, we have alpha calls every day where we talk about how you can make a lot of money in NFTs. And uh, we both quit our jobs this year focusing on this full time. I, I've lost count of how many five-figure days we've had. And for those of you who are actually listening on Spotify or Apple and not watching the YouTube, I will put uh, the, uh, the Mac Arcade uh, address in the social, I'm sorry, in the description so you can actually get that uh, when you stop driving. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Dutch Boyd, 
really Dutch Boyd is the only guest we've ever had that has actually been online and then uh, on Zoom and then decided, you know something? He's I, local. Yeah, I he's coming in. I'm coming in. I'm here. So he got yeah. off the Zoom call <laughs> yeah. and physically he brought he brought his butt here and it was it's really great. I'm glad you did. Travis. Travis, our producer, thank you so much. Give us the raw. Okay. And that's Sticky Paws Studios. Of course, I can't do it without my, my co-host, my partner, David Hampton, Robo Recruiter. Thank you much. Eternally grateful. And as everybody knows, I'm David James, the Job Whisperer. And remember, everybody, get whispered.